Welcome. The following presentation from Answers in CME is part of an educational activity titled Targeting Disease Progression in Advanced Ovarian Cancer. Can combination PARP inhibitors and immune checkpoint inhibitors improve outcomes? To access the full program and supporting materials, visit www.answersincme.com forward slash AXF860. This activity is supported by educational grants from AstraZeneca, GlaxoSmithKline, and Merck and Company Incorporated. Good day. I'm Dr. Kathleen Moore. I am a G1 oncologist, and I currently serve as the Associate Director of Clinical Research and the Director of the Phase One Clinical Trials Unit at the Stevenson Cancer Center in Oklahoma City. It's my great pleasure today to talk about meeting some of the unmet needs for advanced ovarian cancer. There's a lot of interesting agents currently under development here, but we're going to really focus around PARP inhibitors in combination with immunotherapy. I think we all understand the rationale for PARP inhibitors for women with high-grade serous and high-grade endometrioid epithelial ovarian cancers, owing to the fact that about a quarter of them will have BRCA, either somatic or germline mutations some degree of homologous recombination repair deficiency makes them more susceptible to agents that target DNA damage response like platinum and like PARP inhibitors. Immunotherapy we're all very excited about because of the activity in other solid tumors, but in ovarian cancer, we've really seen modest results to date with monotherapy immune checkpoint inhibitors, at least, irrespective of attempts at biomarker selection. And so monotherapy immunotherapy is probably not where the big advances will occur. What about combinations, though? There is quite a bit of interest in combining PARP inhibitors with immune checkpoint inhibitors with or without antiangiogenic agents such as bevacizumab to try and induce some synergy. There is actually pretty good preclinical rationale for why this should work. The hypothesis is that when you induce DNA damage, some of that damaged DNA gets transposed from the nucleus to the cytoplasm. So cytosolic DNA can actually activate the stimulator of interferon genes pathway or the sting pathway. And the sting pathway can activate the immune system in a way that would be synergistic theoretically with immune checkpoint inhibitors. And then, of course, you get some added suppression of immunosuppressive microenvironment with anti-VEGF as well. The big question is, will it work to help our patients? So in the next section, we'll review the available efficacy data for PARP inhibitors in combination with immune checkpoint inhibitors and ovarian cancer and highlight some of the clinical relevance of these data. This chapter focuses on the data to date with combinations of PARP inhibitors and immunotherapies, which really has been entirely in the recurrent setting, in the recurrent platinum-resistant space. All of these studies, at least those presented to date, have been done in tumors that are PARP naive, where patients were largely BRCA wild type and were resistant to platinum. And so there's really three studies of note. One is Topacio, which used the PARP inhibitor Neraparib with the immune checkpoint inhibitor Pembrolizumab. Second is the OPAL study, which used the PARP inhibitor Neraparib, the immune checkpoint inhibitor Dostarlimab plus Bevacizumab. And the third is Moonstone, which also used Dostarlimab and Neraparib in the platinum-resistant space. In all of these studies, the response rates were very modest, around the 17 to 18% for Topacio and OPAL and only 7% in Moonstone, which in a single-arm phase two study is not a large enough response rate to really warrant moving it up in therapy. Except 
for the rationale. And the rationale in adding immune therapies really to anything is not so much to increase the response rate, but to increase that duration, that tail of response. And there may be something about the tumor microenvironment by the time a tumor is platinum resistant, that it's just not going to respond to immune checkpoint inhibitors. And so there was justifiable interest in moving it up into the platinum sensitive space, which was done in the study known as Mediola. Mediola looked at patients who have BRCA wild type tumors. They're second or third line, but still platinum sensitive. And it treated them with the PARP inhibitor Olaparib, the immune checkpoint inhibitor Dervalumab and Bevacizumab, or the doublet of Olaparib and Dervalumab. And then they looked at it across various categories of homologous recombination deficiency. And interestingly and promisingly, that triplet cohort had a very high response rate, even among tumors that are homologous recombination deficiency test negative. You don't see activity in that group really with PARP inhibitor alone. And so the line of therapy and the microenvironment may be important for benefit of immune checkpoint inhibitors. So there are signals here of efficacy, but the right tumor and the right setting have yet to be determined. In the next session, we'll review the safety data seed and studies of PARP inhibitors in combination with immune checkpoint inhibitors in ovarian cancer. So you've heard in the last chapter some relatively early but promising data of combining PARP inhibitors with immune checkpoint inhibitors, especially when bevacizumab is in the mix as well. But if we're thinking about using doublet therapy, a PARP and an immune checkpoint inhibitor, or a PARP immune checkpoint inhibitor and bevacizumab, we also have to be mindful of the toxicity and the tolerance of our patients. And so even though a lot of the studies that have been done are relatively small numbers, the data has been very consistent. And it doesn't appear to be any synergy in terms of adverse events. The adverse events that you see with PARP inhibitors are the same as when you have PARP inhibitor monotherapy, and the adverse events you see when you're using immune checkpoint inhibitors are those as when you use monotherapy immune checkpoint inhibitors. And so when you're counseling somebody for participating either in a trial or if this were to become standard of care, you would counsel them as per those classes of agents. And so when you look at the studies of combinations, the grade three or higher adverse events are relatively infrequent and usually related to the PARP inhibitor. You'll see anemia, for example, and that's related to the PARP, or you'll see hypertension, and that's related to the bevacizumab. You're not seeing a lot of grade three or higher events that are related to the immune checkpoint inhibitor. And in fact, if you look at the Topacio study as an example, grade three or higher immune-related adverse events occurred in three of 53 patients. So it was 6%, and those were hypothyroidism, hyperglycemia, et cetera. Our immune checkpoint inhibitors are largely very well tolerated, but you can have these very severe autoimmune toxicities. And I usually tell folks it's 10% or less, but if they happen, they can be quite significant. And so we're looking for things such as hypo or hyperthyroidism. We're looking for new onset of diarrhea or immune-related colitis or pneumonitis. But these fortunately are a very low incidence, but you have to be aware of these side effects so that you catch them and mitigate them appropriately. But we don't seem to be seeing an increase in the incidence of severe adverse events related to immune therapy when it's combined with a PARP inhibitor and or bevacizumab. So in the next section, we'll discuss the potential role of PARP inhibitors in combination with immune checkpoint inhibitors in ovarian cancer, given the context of available data, as well as the currently recommended treatment paradigm. 
nothing's really approved yet for combination immune checkpoint inhibitors and PARP inhibitors. So what would happen if some of these big trials are positive? But we think about frontline. You have to get a diagnosis, a biopsy, to know what kind of histotype she has. And you have to get genetics and molecular sent off so you know what you're dealing with. You have to make a decision whether or not you use bevacizumab. And then your molecular data will come back. If you started bevacizumab in your patient and they are found to have a BRCA-associated cancer, you can continue the bevacizumab and layer on Olaparib for the Paola data. Or if a patient's not tolerating bevacizumab well, you can stop it and switch to Olaparib or Niraparib alone, but it's not recommended to stop in absence of a reason such as toxicity. If a patient is BRCA wild type, but homologous recombination deficient, then you can layer on Olaparib to the bevacizumab per the Paola data. If their homologous recombination deficiency test negative, then you would continue the bevacizumab for maintenance, just like GOG-218 has taught us. If you did not opt to use bevacizumab and your patient has a germline or somatic BRCA-associated cancer, then the clear option is to start a PARP inhibitor. Currently, we have two FDA-approved, Olaparib and Niraparib as switch maintenance. If a patient has a BRCA wild type or unknown tumor, you certainly do have options for a PARP inhibitor in this maintenance with niraparib based on the PRIMA study, and some individuals will choose to do close monitoring in this setting. And so this is the current standard of care and the options. What happens if one of the four studies that is incorporating immune therapy results positive? We have the first study, which is looking at niraparib dostarlimab with or without bevacizumab. You have DUOO, which is looking at olaparib and dervalumab with bevacizumab. You have Athena doublet, which is looking at rucaparib versus rucaparib and nivolumab. And then you also have the Keylink study, which is olaparib pembrolizumab with or without bevacizumab. And so if any one of those are positive, then it will come down to all of the subgroups and the moleculars, of course, but you could see layering in an immune therapy as a maintenance in this setting. And those studies, we should expect results in 2023. In the next session, we'll discuss factors that may impact patient selection for combination therapy with PARP inhibitors plus immune checkpoint inhibitors in the ovarian cancer setting. In this last chapter, we're really going to talk about patient selection. And it comes down to three categories. What line of therapy are you in? What's the prior exposure? What's an absolute contraindication? The first thing I would think about is what line of therapy am I looking at right now? And so if I'm in the front line, this is a tumor that's naive to other targeted therapies. I may have some de novo resistance to some of these targeted therapies, but I'm not going to have as much acquired resistance to things like PARP inhibitors, bevacizumab, and immune checkpoint inhibitors. The earlier you use them, the better they work. So front line's probably the easiest setting. But what about someone that missed this frontline approval? The things we have to think about here are prior exposures. We're all wondering about the impact, for example, frontline PARP inhibitor treatment has on subsequent response to a PARP, which is why I think you should stop PARP inhibitors at the prescribed two or three-year time point. If they've seen a PARP, the likelihood that they're going to re-respond and do well to a PARP inhibitor monotherapy is relatively low. If you've had a patient who's seen prior bevacizumab and now they're platinum-sensitive recurrence, you can use your platinum again. You can use bevacizumab again. And then the third category is contraindications to use of these targeted therapies. And you all know when to not use bevacizumab 
uncontrolled hypertension, patients with lots of bowel involvement by tumor or fistula, history of radiation, which is less common in ovarian cancer, patients whose hematologic parameters really suffered during chemotherapy alone are likely going to struggle at a PARP inhibitor or PARP inhibitor combination. Immune checkpoint inhibitors, I think we know these rules. Patients with significant autoimmune disorders cannot go on an immune checkpoint inhibitor. These are the patients that can have really severe toxicities related to their underlying autoimmune disease. But autoimmune disorders that are under good control or not currently been treated, these medications can be used safely, but really need strong oversight to make sure patients are well taken care of while they're receiving hopefully effective therapy. There's a lot to think about with these triplets regarding what's available on label so we don't induce financial toxicity on our patients so that you get patients on medications that are effective for them, but also safe and don't have downstream negative effects for them. So this was a rapid fire review of combination PARP inhibitors and immune checkpoint inhibitors with or without bevacizumab. We're on the cusp of either moving these into the treatment paradigm for our patients or moving on to other ways that we can capitalize on the immune system for our patients. So stay tuned into 2023 and we'll start to get some answers. Thank you for joining. Thank you for listening. Please visit www.answersincme.com forward slash AXF860 to view all program materials, complete the post-test, and get a certificate.